Section two of Catherine Lauderdale, Volume two, by Francis Marion Crawford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter seventeen. When Catherine left Robert Lauderdale's house that morning, she felt that trouble had begun and was not to cease for a long time. She had entered her uncle's library full of hope, sure of success and believing that john ralston's future depended only upon the rich man's good will and good word she went out fully convinced at last that he must take one or the other of the much despised chances he had neglected and forthwith do the best he could with it she thought it was very hard but she understood old lauderdale's clear statement and she saw that there was no other way she sympathized deeply with john in his dislike for the daily drudgery for which it was quite true that he was little fitted by nature or training but she did her best to analyze that unfitness so as to try and discover some gift or quality to balance it and neutralize it and her first impulse was not to find him at once and tell him what had happened but rather to put off the evil moment in which she must tell him the truth this was the first sign of weakness which she had exhibited since that monday afternoon on which she had persuaded him to take the decisive step she turned into madison avenue as soon as she could for the sake of the quiet the morning sun shone full in her eyes as she began to make her way southwards and she was glad of the warmth for she felt cold and inwardly chilled in mind and body she had walked far but she still walked on disliking the thought of being penned in with a dozen or more of unsympathizing individuals for twenty minutes in a horse-car moreover she instinctively wished to tire herself as though to bring down her bodily energy to the low ebb at which her mental activity seemed to be stagnating strong people will understand that desire to balance mind and body she was quite convinced that her uncle was right the more she turned the whole situation over the clearer what he had said became to her the only escape was to accept the money which he was willing to give her for the honour of the family but if neither she nor john would take that there was no alternative but for john to go to work in the ordinary way and show that he could be steady for at least a year that seemed a very long time as long as a year can seem for a girl of nineteen which is saying much Catherine had seen such glorious visions for that year too that the darkness of the future was a tangible horror now that they were fading away the memory of a dream can be as vivid as the recollection of a reality the something which john was to find to do had presented itself to her mind as a sort of idyllic existence somewhere out of the world in which there should be woods and brooks and breezes and a convenient town not far away where things could be got and a cottage quite unlike other cottages and a good deal of shooting and fishing and riding with an amount of responsibility for all these things equal in money to six or seven thousand dollars a year out of which Catherine was sure that she could save a small fortune in a few years it had not been quite clear to her why the responsibility was to be worth so much in actual coin of the republic but people certainly succeeded very quickly in the west besides she was quite ready to give up all the luxuries and amusements of social existence much more ready to do so than john ralston if she had known the truth 
It must not be believed that she was utterly visionary and unpractical, because she had taken this rose-coloured view of the life Uncle Robert was to provide for her and her husband. There are probably a great many young women in the eastern cities who imagine just such things to be quite possible, and quite within the power and gift of a millionaire, in the American sense of that word, which implies the possession of more than one million, and more often refers in actual use to income than merely to capital. In Paris, a man who has $20,000 a year is called a millionaire. In New York, a man with that income is but just beyond the level of the estimable society poor, and within the ranks of the fairly well-off. The great fortunes being really as fabulous as those in fairy tales, it is not surprising that the possession of them should be supposed to bring with it an almost fabulous power in all directions. Men like Robert Lauderdale, the administration of whose estates requires a machinery not unlike that of a small nation's treasury, are thought to have in their gift all sorts of remunerative positions for which the principal qualifications are an unlimited capacity for enjoying the fresh air and some talent for fishing. As a matter of fact, though so much richer than ordinary men, they are so much poorer than all except the very small nations that they cannot support so many idlers. Catherine knew a good deal about life in New York and its possibilities, but very little of what could be done elsewhere. She was perfectly well aware of the truth of all that her uncle had told her concerning the requirements for business or the law, for she had heard such matters discussed often enough. In her own city she was practical, for she understood her surroundings as well as any young girl could. It was because she understood them that she dreamed of getting out of them as soon as practicable and of beginning that vaguely active and remunerative existence which for her lay west of illinois and anywhere beyond that even to the shores of the pacific ocean john ralston himself knew very little about it but he had rightly judged its mythical nature when he had told her that robert lauderdale would do nothing for him the sun warmed catherine as she walked down madison avenue but everything was black felt black she would have said had she thought aloud. Ralston would not turn upon her and say, I told you so, because he loved her, but she could see the expression of his face as she looked forward to the interview. He would nod his head slowly and say nothing. The corners of his mouth would be drawn down for a moment, and his eyelids would contract a little while he looked away from her. He would think the matter over during about half a minute, and then, with a look of determination, he would say that he would try what Uncle Robert proposed. He would not say anything against the plan of keeping the marriage secret, now that old Lauderdale knew of it, for he would see at once that there was absolutely nothing else to be done. They had gone over the possibilities so often, there was not one which they had not carefully considered. It was all so hopelessly against them still, in spite of the one great effort Catherine had made that morning. She walked more slowly after she had passed the high level above the railway, where it runs out of the city underground from the central station. As she came nearer to the neighborhood in which John lived, she felt for the first time in her life that she did not wish to meet him. Though she did not admit to herself that she feared to tell him the result of her conversation with her uncle, and though she had no intention of going to his mother's house and asking for him, her pace slackened at the mere idea of being nearer to him. 
Then she realized what she was doing, and with a bitter little smile of contempt at her own weakness, she walked on more briskly. She had often read in books of that sudden change in the aspect of the outer world which disappointment brings, but she had never quite believed in it before. She realized it now. There was no light in anything. The faces of the people who passed her looked dead and uninteresting. Every house looked though a funeral procession might at any moment file out of its door. The very pavement, drying in patches in the sunshine, felt cold and unsympathetic under her feet. She began to wonder what she had better do, whether she should write John Ralston a long letter explaining everything, or whether she should write him a short one, merely saying that the news was unfavourable. Unfavourable sounded better than bad or disappointing, she thought, and asking him to come and see her in the afternoon. The latter course seemed preferable, and had, moreover, the advantage of involving fewer practical difficulties, for her command over her mother tongue was by no means very great when subjected to the test of black and white, though in conversation it was quite equal to her requirements on most occasions. She could even entirely avoid the use of slang, by making a determined effort, for her father detested it, and her mother's conversational weaknesses were southern and of a different type. But on paper she was never sure of being quite right. Punctuation was a department which she affected to despise, but which she inwardly feared, and when alone she admitted that there were words which she seemed to spell not as they were spelled in books. Parallel, for instance, psychology and responsibility. She avoided those words which were not very necessary to her, but with a disagreeable suspicion that there might be others. Had develop an E at the end of it, or had it not? She could never remember, and the dictionary lived in her grandfather's den, at some distance from her own room. The difficulties of writing a long letter to John Ralston, whose mother had taught him his English before it could be taught him all wrong at a fashionable school, rose before her eyes with absurd force, and she decided forthwith to send for Ralston in the afternoon. Having come to a preliminary conclusion, life seemed momentarily a little easier. She turned out of her way into Fourth Avenue, took a horse-car, got transferred to a Christopher Street one, and in the course of time got out at the corner of Clinton Place. She wrote the shortest possible note to John Ralston, went out again, bought a special delivery stamp, and took the letter up to the 13th Street post office, instead of dropping it into an ordinary letter-box. She did everything, in short, to make the message reach its destination as quickly as possible, without employing a messenger. Charlotte Slayback appeared at luncheon. She preferred that meal when she invited herself, because her father was never present, and a certain amount of peaceful conversation was possible in his absence. It was some time since she had been in New York, and the glimpse of her old room on the previous afternoon irresistibly attracted her again. Catherine hoped, however, that she would not stay long, as Ralston was to come at three o'clock, this being usually the safest hour for his visits. Mrs. Lauderdale would then be either at work or out of the house. The philanthropist would be dozing upstairs in a cloud of smoke before a table covered with reports, and Alexander Junior would be still downtown. In consideration of the importance of getting Charlotte out of the way, Catherine was more than usually cordial to her, 
a mistake often made by young people who do not seem to understand the very simple fact that the best way to make people go away is generally to be as disagreeable as possible the consequence was that charlotte enjoyed herself immensely and it required the sight of her father's photograph which stood upon mrs lauderdale's writing-table in the library to keep her from proposing to spend two or three days in the house after her husband should have gone back to washington but the photograph was there and it was one taken by the platinum process which made the handsome steely face look more metallic than ever charlotte gazed at it thoughtfully and could almost hear the maxims of virtue and economy with which those even lips had preached her down since she had been a child and she decided that she would not stay her husband was not to her taste but he never preached mrs lauderdale had for her eldest daughter that sentiment which is generally described as a mother's love and which as frank minor had once rather coarsely put it will stand more knocking about than old boots charlotte was spoiled capricious frivolous in the extreme ungrateful beyond description weak where she should have been strong and strong where she should have been tender and mrs lauderdale knew it all and loved her in spite of it all though she disapproved of her almost at every point charlotte had one of those characters of which people are apt to say that they might have turned out splendidly if properly trained than which no more foolish expression falls from the lips of commonplace virtuous humanity charlotte like many women who resemble her had received an excellent training the proof was that when she chose to behave herself no one could seem to be more docile more thoughtful and considerate of others or more charming in conversation she had only to wish to appear well as the phrase goes and the minutest details necessary to success were absolutely under her control what people meant when they said that she might have turned out splendidly though they did not at all understand the fact was that a woman possessing charlotte slayback's natural gifts and acquired accomplishments might have been a different person if she had been born with a very different character a statement quite startling in its great simplicity as it was there was nothing to be done charlotte had been admirably trained in every way so well that she could exhibit the finest qualities on occasion without any perceptible effort even when she felt the utmost reluctance to do so but the occasions were few and were determined by questions of personal advantage and even more by mere caprice on that particular day when she lunched quietly in her old home her conduct was little short of angelic and catherine found it hard to realize that she was the same woman who on the previous afternoon had made such an exhibition of contemptible pettiness and unreasoning discontent catherine had she known her sister less well would almost have been inclined to believe that benjamin slayback of nevada was a person with whom no wife of ordinary sensibility would possibly live but she knew charlotte very well indeed and as the hands of the clock went round towards three charlotte showed no intention of going away to catherine's infinite annoyance for she knew that ralston would be punctual and would probably come even a little before the time she had named it would not do to let him walk into the library after the late scene between him and her mother the latter had said nothing more about the matter but only one day had intervened since mrs lauderdale had so unexpectedly expressed her total disapproval of catherine's relations with john it was not probable that mrs lauderdale 
who was not a changeable woman, would go back to her original position in the course of a few hours, and there would certainly be trouble if John appeared, with no particular excuse. Catherine, as may be imagined, was by no means in a normal mood, and if she made herself agreeable to her sister, it was not at first without a certain effort, which did not decrease, in spite of Charlotte's own exceptionally good temper, because as the latter grew more and more amiable, she also seemed more and more inclined to spend the whole afternoon where she was. Hints about going out, about going upstairs to the room in which Mrs. Lauderdale painted, about possible visitors, had no effect whatever. Charlotte was enjoying herself, and her mother was delighted to keep her and listen to her conversation. Catherine thought at last that she should be reduced to the necessity of waiting in the entry until Ralston came, in order to send him away again before he could get into the library by mistake. She hated the plan, which certainly lacked dignity, and she watched the hands of the clock growing nervous and absent in what she said, as she saw that the fatal hour was approaching. At twenty minutes to three, Charlotte was describing to her mother the gown worn by the English ambassadress at the last official dinner at the White House. At a quarter to three, she was giving an amusing account of the last filibustering affray in the house, which she had witnessed, it having been arranged beforehand to take place at a given point in the proceedings, from the gallery reserved for members' families. Five minutes later, she was telling anecdotes about a deputation from the South Sea Islands. Catherine could hardly sit still as she watched the inexorable hands. At five minutes to three, Charlotte struck the subject of painting, and Catherine felt that it was all over. Suddenly, Charlotte herself glanced at the clock and sprang up. "'I have forgotten all about poor little Crowdie,' she exclaimed. "'He was coming at three to take me to the loan exhibition,' she added looking about her for her hat and gloves here asked Catherine aghast oh no at the hotel of course i must run as fast as i can there are still cabs at the brevort house corner aren't there thank you my dear Catherine had found all her things and was already tying on the little veil i do hope he'll wait of course he will answered Catherine with amazing certainty you're all right dear now run she added pushing her sister towards the door do come to dinner, Charlie, cried Mrs. Lauderdale, following her. It's so nice to see something of you. Oh, yes, she'll come, but you mustn't keep her, Mamma. She's awfully late as it is. From a condition of apparently hopeless apathy, Catherine was suddenly roused to exert all her energies. It was two minutes to three as she closed the glass door behind her sister. Fortunately, Ralston had not come before his time. I suppose you're going to work now, Mamma. Catherine suggested, doing her best to speak calmly, as she turned to her mother, who was standing in the door of the library. She had never before wished that Ralston were an unpunctual man, nor that her mother, to whom she was devotedly attached, were at the bottom of the sea. "'Oh, yes, I suppose so,' answered Mrs. Lauderdale. "'How delightful Charlotte was today, wasn't she?' Her face was fresh and rested. She leaned against the doorpost as though deciding whether to go upstairs at once or to go back into the library. With a movement natural to her, she raised her graceful arms, folding her hands together behind her head, and leaning back against the woodwork, looking lazily at Catherine as she did so. 
she felt that small difficulty at the moment of going back to the daily occupation after spending an exceptionally pleasant hour in someone's company which is familiar to all hard workers Catherine stood still trying to hide her anxiety the clock must be just going to strike she thought what's the matter child you seem nervous and worried about something she asked the question with a certain curiosity do i asked Catherine, trying to affect indifference mrs lauderdale did not move in the half-light of the doorway she was still very beautiful as she stood there trying to make up her mind to go to her work Catherine was in despair and turned over the cards that lay in a deep dish on the table reading the names mechanically yes continued her mother you look as though you were expecting something or somebody the clock struck and almost at the same instant Catherine heard ralston's quick light tread on the stone steps outside the house she had a sudden inspiration there's a visitor coming mother she whispered quickly run away and i'll tell annie not to let him in mrs lauderdale fortunately did not care to receive anyone but instead of going upstairs she merely nodded just as the bell rang and retired into the library again shutting the door behind her Catherine was left alone in the entry and she could see the dark indistinct shape of john ralston through the ground glass pane of the front door she hesitated an instant doubting whether it would not be wisest to open the door herself sent him away and then slipping on her things to follow him a moment later into the street but in the same instant she reflected that her mother had very possibly gone to the window to see who the visitor had been when he should descend the steps again most women do that in houses where it is possible then too her mother would expect to hear annie's footsteps passing the library as the young girl went to the front door there was the dining-room and it could be reached from the entry by passing through the pantry annie was devoted to Catherine, and at a whispered word would lead ralston silently thither the closed room between the dining-room and the library would effectually cut off the sound of voices but that too struck Catherine as being beneath her to confide in a servant she could not do it and she was further justified by the reflection that even if she followed that course her mother who was doubtless at the window would not see ralston go away and would naturally conclude that the visitor had remained in the house whoever he might be Catherine stood irresolute watching ralston's shadow on the pane and listening to Annie's rapidly approaching tread from the regions of the pantry at the end of the entry. A moment later, and the girl was by her side. "'If it's Mr. Ralston, don't shut the door again until I've spoken to him,' she said in a low voice. "'My mother isn't receiving, if it's a visitor.' She stood behind Annie as the latter opened the door. John was there, as she had expected, and Annie stepped back. Catherine raised her finger to her lips, warning him not to speak. He looked surprised, but stood bareheaded on the threshold. "'You must go away at once, Jack,' she whispered. "'My mother is in the library, looking out the window, and I can't possibly see you alone. Wait for me near the door of the assembly to-night. Go, dear. It's impossible now. I'll tell you afterwards.' In her anxiety not to rouse her mother's suspicions, she shut the door almost before he had nodded his assent she scarcely saw the blank look that came into his face and the utter disappointment in his eyes seeing that the door was shut annie turned and went away Catherine hesitated a moment 
passed her hand over her brow, glanced mechanically once more at the cards in the china dish on the table, and then went into the library. To her surprise, her mother was not there, but the folding door which led to the dark drawing-room was half rolled back, and it was clear that Mrs. Lauderdale had gone through the dining-room and had probably reached her own apartment by the back staircase of the house. Catherine was on the point of running into the street and calling Ralston back. She hesitated a moment, and then going hastily to the window, threw up the sash and looked out, hoping that he might be still within hearing. But looking eastward, towards Fifth Avenue, he was not to be seen amongst the moving pedestrians, of whom there were many just then. She looked to see whether he had taken the other direction, and saw him at once, but already far down the street, walking fast, with his head bent low, and his hands in his pocket of his overcoat. He was evidently going to take the elevated road uptown. "'Oh, Jack, I'm so sorry!' she exclaimed softly to herself, still looking after him as he disappeared in the distance. Then she drew down the window again, and went and sat in her accustomed place in the small armchair opposite to her mother's sofa. She thought very uncharitably of Charlotte during the next quarter of an hour, but she promised herself to get into a corner with Ralston that evening at the great ball and to explain all the circumstances to him as minutely as they have been explained here. She was angry with her mother, too, for not having gone up the front staircase as she might just as well have done, but she was very glad she has not condescended to the manoeuvre of introducing John to the dining-room by the back way, as she would have probably just met Mrs. Lauderdale as the latter passed through. On the whole, it seemed to Catherine that she had done as wisely as the peculiarly difficult circumstances had allowed, and that although there was much to regret, she had done nothing of which she need to repent. It seemed to her, too, as she began to recover from the immediate annoyance of failure, that she had gained several more hours than she had expected, in which to think over what she should say to Ralston when they met and she at once set herself the task of recalling everything that Robert Lauderdale had said to her, with the intention of repeating it as accurately as possible, since she could not expect to say it any better than he had said it himself. It was necessary that Ralston should understand it, as she had understood it, and should see that although Uncle Robert was quite ready to be generous, he could not undertake to perform miracles. Those had been the old gentleman's own words. Then she began to wonder whether, after all, it would not be better to accept what he offered, the small, settled income, which was so good to think of, and to get rid of all this secrecy, which oppressed her much more since she had been told that it must last, than when she had expected that it would involve at most the delay of a week. The deep depression which she began to feel at her heart, now that she was alone again, made the simple means of escape from all her anxieties look very tempting to her, and she dwelt on it. If she begged Ralston to forget his pride for her sake, as she was willing to forget her own for his, and to let her take the money, he would surely yield. Once together, openly married before the world, things would be so much easier. He and she could talk all day, unhindered and unobserved, and plan the future at their leisure, and it was not possible that with all the joint intelligence they could bring to bear upon the problem, it should still remain unsolved. Meanwhile, Ralston had gone up town, very much more disappointed than Catherine knew. 
Strange to say, their marriage seemed far more important in his eyes than in hers, and he had lived all day, since they had parted at ten o'clock in the morning, in nervous anticipation of seeing her again before night. He had gone home at once, and had spent the hours alone, for his mother had gone out to luncheon. Until the messenger with Catherine's specially stamped letter rang at the door, he would not have gone out of the house for any consideration, and after he had read it, sat counting the minutes until he could reasonably expect to use up the remaining time in walking to Clinton Place. As it was, he had reached the corner a quarter of an hour before the time, and his extreme punctuality was to be accounted for by the fact that he had set his watch with the Lauderdale's library clock, as he always did nowadays, and that he looked at it every thirty seconds as he walked up and down the street, timing himself so exactly that the hands were precisely at the hour of three when he took hold of the bell. There are few small disappointments in the world comparable with that of a man who has been told by the woman he loves to come at a certain hour, who appears at her door with military punctuality, and who is told to go away again instantly, no adequate excuse being given for the summary dismissal. Men all know that, but few women realise it. Considering the rather unusual situation, thought Ralston angrily, she might have managed to get her mother out of the way for half an hour. Besides, her mother wouldn't have stoned me to death if she had let me come in. And after last night, I shouldn't think she would care very much for the sort of privacy one has in a ballroom. He had waited all day to see her, and he had nothing to do until the evening, when he had to go to a dinner party before the assembly ball. He naturally thought of his club as a quiet place where he could be alone with his annoyances and disappointments between three and four o'clock and he took the elevated road as the shortest way of getting there. End of chapter 17